The following message, entitled Relentless, part 12 of the series Courageous Faith, was given by Mark Altrogi on the 25th of October, 2015. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Good morning, everybody. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Saving Grace Church. Thanks for coming. If this is your first Sunday, hope you have an opportunity to stop by the Welcome Center afterwards and meet us. If you'd like to find out about fellowship groups, you could also do that there. I think Joe maybe mentioned that. One last announcement. We need more Kids Cove volunteers. Specifically, if you are a current helper or if you used to teach, we need teachers for the four-year-olds, first grade, and second grade. If you are interested in serving at all in Kids Cove, there are sign-up sheets in the lobby, and you can sign up or you can talk to Sean McGochran. So, please think about serving. Actually, Bob... One of our pastors is teaching in Kids Cove this morning. So we definitely need teachers. If they're so desperate, they would take him. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But he is teaching there this morning. So if you, if you think all I can do is maybe just help out, that would be great. Any way you can serve in Kids Cove. And Jesus, Jesus said that if you give a cup of cold water even to a child in His name. You won't lose your reward. So I really believe the rewards for those who serve in Kids Cove are going to be great. Grab my Bible. Can uh, you, David, can you project this first image? Anybody know what that is? It's a spider. Good one. It's a spider that's called a brown recluse. And you can't see it really well here, but in the middle part, right behind its head, there is a violin-shaped mark on it. And um, I, I just like spiders. I like insects. I like things like that. I find them interesting. But brown recluse. Can you show the other image of a brown recluse? That's, that's a quarter. So that's about how big they can get. You can see the violin shape a little better. If you have those in your house, you might want to call Jim Rice, our uh, local pest control member here. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about something about a brown recluse. In 1988, and I found this in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, I'd heard about this, so... Um, it says it took place in Weldon Spring, and I don't know where that is. I'm assuming maybe near St. Louis. But in 1988, a couple bought a home for $450,000. Pretty nice home, I would assume. The uh, woman wife named Susan Trost said she was walking through her new, new home, exploring it on her first day there, and she noticed a large stringy web wrapped around one of the light fixtures that hadn't been there on the walkthrough date. And neither had the webs in the bar area in the basement. 
And in the kitchen, she tugged on a piece of loose wallpaper and a spider skittered behind it. She thought the home probably just needed a thorough cleaning, so she got to work. And in the following days, she saw spiders in their webs every day. They were in the mini blinds, the air registers, the pantry ceiling, the fireplace. Their exoskeletons were falling from the can lights. Once, when she was showering, she dodged a spider as it fell from the ceiling and washed down the drain. A month after living there, her four-year-old son screamed frantically from the basement and Trost saw a spider about the size of a half dollar inches from his foot. Instead of smashing it, she trapped it in a plastic bag, looked it up on the internet. It was a brown recluse. She contacted a pest control company. They came in on a weekly basis, spraying the interior, exterior, setting down sticky traps. Now, since brown recluse spiders often live behind walls, she hired someone to come in and remove drywall so the exterminator could spray behind it. She hired another company to remove the insulation from the attic and put down pesticide powder. She said, after the attic treatment, it seemed to help for quite a while, although we were still capturing them, she testified. It was just a decline They weren't gone. Later on, at a jury trial, Jamel Sandage, a biology professor at the University of Kansas, described the brown recluse problem in their home as, quote, immense, between 4,500 and 6,000 spiders. Most troubling was the fact, this biology professor testified, that those calculations were made in the winter time when the spiders are least active. So they had to move out. And the couple that had sold them the house had declared bankruptcy and the insurance company refused to pay anything. And so they, they had bought a house with spiders hiding in it and then eventually lost the battle to these spiders. And this, this, the reason I share this is not to gross you out. Hopefully none of you have that many brown recluse spiders in your house, although they do live in this part of the country. So if you're, if you're, <laughs> if you're, moving, if you're moving boxes in your basement, you might, that, you might want to be careful. I was up at the hospital emergency room once and I saw a man that I knew and he had a big mark on his head. I said, what's that? He said, it's a brown recluse bite. I was moving boxes in the basement of the hospital and I just felt a little tickle on my head. So next time you're moving boxes. Now now that I've put fear into you, the reason I share this is because to me it's it's, it's a picture of our battle in our Christian life. And when we begin our Christian lives, we really don't realize the enemies that we have to deal with. And we really don't realize the enemies that are hiding in our hearts. The Christian life is a relentless battle to put these sins, these hidden sins, hidden enemies to death. 
Someday we'll have rest. But now we must be relentless as we follow Jesus. It's a battle. Remember, the book of Joshua, which we're in, we're going to look at, is a picture of the Christian life. It's, it's, a, it's an Old Testament picture for us to see what our life in Jesus Christ is like. When we, when we believe in Jesus, when we call upon the name of the Lord, when we turn to Jesus as Lord of lords and King of kings for our salvation, and He rescues us and saves us as we were singing about because He paid for all our sins and He gives us new life as a gift. We don't earn it. It's a gift. But then this new life that we have, we need to live it out. And we need to be relentless in our battle against these brown recluse sins that hide out in our hearts. So this morning's message is entitled, Relentless. Relentless. And we have, we have to be relentless because we have hidden enemies. If you can project these five things. Hidden enemies. We have to be relentless in our attack. We have to silence our enemies. And we'll see what that means in a minute. And we're going to see a picture of our victory and we're going to see the One who crushes our enemies. So, let's pray and then we'll dive into this passage in Joshua 10. Lord, we thank You that You are victorious. You are the victor. We thank You, Jesus, that someday we will not have to battle sin. And we also thank You, Lord, that right now in our lives, You provide us with all the strength we need to battle sin. So, Lord, I pray that this this message would be a, a, an exhortation to us to fight and to fight hard, but it would also give us hope as we heard about this morning because You are the One who strengthens us and Your mercies are new every morning. So Lord, please help us and open our eyes to see wonderful things in Your Word this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Alright, we're going to start in Joshua 10, verse 16, and we're going to look at hidden enemies. Remember, this is a picture of our lives now in Jesus. Verse 16, These five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Makeda. Now I want to just remind you, if you were here last week or even if you weren't, five kings, five kings had come up against Joshua and the Israelites. Five kings. Mighty kings with mighty armies. This was, this was bigger than anything they had faced yet. They had only taken one city at a time before. Now there's five massive armies that had come up against them. And Joshua, if, if, if you want, you can listen to the message last week. You can go to our website. But, but Joshua prayed. The armies of Israel fought. God worked miracles for them. He threw hailstones on their enemies. He stopped the sun in the sky. Or He stopped the earth from rotating, however you want to describe it. And Israel defeated their enemies. And these five kings now fled and hid themselves in the cave at Makedah. And it was told to Joshua, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makedah. And Joshua said, roll large stones against, against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. He was going to deal with those kings. 
But he first had to keep fighting this battle in front of him. Now, these kings were hiding so as not to be discovered. They were hoping, probably hoping, to lay low for a while and then come back and regroup and make war on Israel again. And they would have if they had had the chance. Because they hated Israel. They wanted to crush Israel. Now, we have some sins in our lives that are more outward and more obvious that we must deal with. Obviously, some, you know, some sins are more easy to see. But we have, we have sins that are more inward and more hidden. Sometimes we have sinful motives. Sometimes we have sins like pride. Sometimes we have sins like covetousness or jealousy or inward anger that others don't see. Or lust, or whatever it might be. And the good news is that Jesus' death on the cross has dealt with all our sins. Inward, outward, every single one. He paid for every single sin on the cross that we ever have committed or ever will commit. Jesus paid for our sins. I am so grateful. We, we have sins that we don't even know about. Psalm 19.12 says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. I did not know all the sins that were lurking in my heart when Jesus saved me. I am so glad that, that I don't have to somehow know them all. That Jesus died on the cross even from my hidden for my hidden faults. Because I, I had no idea. Apart, apart from Jesus Christ and His work on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit, we have no chance of overcoming all our sins. No more than that family with the brown recluses had, had a chance to eliminate their spider problem. You cannot get rid of all your sins apart from Jesus Christ. If, if you're here and, and, and you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know much about Him, you've never, maybe never been to church before, you're here and you're just learning about Jesus Christ, the Bible says that every single one of us are slaves of sin until Jesus sets us free. We can't even know the depth of our own sin. And so in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, David wrote, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And Jesus, when He saves us, He begins to do that. He leads us in the way everlasting. He searches our hearts. He at times reveals our sins to us. He finds out if there's a grievous way in us. He knows whatever grievous way is in us. And He will take us through things and lead us and sometimes expose our sins so that we can ask His forgiveness and confess those sins and then He washes us from them again. It says in 1 John 1, 1.9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, there's, there's just times that I, 
I didn't know what sins were in my heart until I get exposed to a certain situation. A certain situation that requires patience and then suddenly I'm grumbling. (laughs) A certain situation where I meet some kind of person that's very difficult for me to love in my selfishness and then it reveals to me my selfishness. And once again, I'm saying, Jesus, just cleanse me, wash me. See, there are sins that hide out in our lives. And so 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, in other words, people who really don't belong here because you are citizens of heaven, but you're here for a time, so I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. See, our flesh, these bodies, we still have some measure of a fallen nature. Passions of the flesh. And, and they will exert themselves. And Peter says, abstain from them. Don't do them. Don't give in to them. James 4.1 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions or desires or pleasures or lusts are at war within you? That word passion, passions can mean pleasures, it can mean lusts, it can mean strong desires. What causes fights? What causes quarrels? In our flesh, we have passions or strong desires. It can be something as simple as this. And I read this illustration once, and I've, I've lived it out, unfortunately, at times. At the end of a long, hard day, Guy comes home from work. He just wants to relax. His desire, his passion is just to kick back and watch a little TV and relax. He's been working all day. He's been talking, working. Now, his wife has been dealing with four small screaming children all day. All she wants, her desire, is some adult conversation. He doesn't want to talk. I want to watch TV. I don't feel like talking. I've been with these kids all day. I haven't talked to an adult in 20 years, it feels like. I need some adult conversation. And so, why won't you talk to me? Why won't you let me watch TV? I just want to talk a little bit. You can watch TV anytime. I have been working all day. Can't I just relax? What causes quarrels? What causes fights? It's your desires, your passions at war within you. We have to put these things to death. More on this in a few minutes. I'm just making the point now that sometimes we have sins hiding that we don't know about. You don't believe me? Psalm 90 verse 8 says, You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of Your presence. Sometimes we don't know about them or sometimes we keep them secret from others. But God sees them. God sees them. And that's the reason we should put them to death because they displease the Lord. Now, we have these hidden sins. Well, what did Israel do? What is the picture for us? They, did, they made a relentless attack. Hidden, hidden sins, relentless attack. And so in verse 18 it says, And Joshua said, 
Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave. Set men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies. Attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter their cities, for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. When Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out, and when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp at Makkedah. They they wiped out their enemy. There were a few survivors who straggled back to the cities, but they defeated their enemies. They relentlessly... He said, don't quit in the middle of the battle. Don't let, them, don't let those armies get back to their cities. Don't let these whole armies get back to their cities or they're going to regroup. They're going to come after you again. While strike, keep striking, be relentless. They were to be... Pursue your enemies. Attack the rear guard. We have to do that with our sins. We must be relentless. We, we, we must strike our sins with a great blow. We, must, we, we can't get comfortable with it. We can't just go on in it. We have to kill it all the days of our lives. We can't stop. We can't rest. We can't let our guard down. Colossians 3, 5-10 says this, Put to death. See, this is our battle. This is, this is what the picture is in, in Joshua. This is what we are. Put to death. Kill it. It doesn't say wound it. Put it to death. Everything, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality. Kill it. Don't give in to it at all. Put it to death. Impurity. Passion. Evil desire. And covetousness. Meaning, looking at what others have and wanting it. Being discontent. Coveting the things that other people have. Why don't I have a house that nice? How come they get to have that? Covetousness. You've got to put it to death, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And you may be saying, well, hey, I'm not into sexual immorality or impurity right now. I'm not coveting. Okay. Well, in these it says, you too once walked when you were living in them. You once walked in them. But now, but now, in this new life in Jesus, but now you must Put them all away. Anger. You can't go on giving in to anger. Put it away. Someone cuts you off. You feel like cursing at them or whatever. You need to say, I, Father, in Jesus' name, I forgive them. You can't give in to anger. Wrath. Malice or ill will. We aren't even allowed to, to have malice toward others. No ill will. Slander. Gossiping about others. Saying bad things about others. Telling others of people's sins. Obscene talk. Obscene talk. Cursing. Foul language. Impure language. Obscene talk. 
Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its Creator. We, see, we must be ruthless with our sin. Paul, Paul doesn't say, do your best, you know, try to get rid of some of this, and you know, if you can't, you can't. No! He says, put it to death! Kill it! We must set our hearts to conquer it completely no matter how long it takes. Arthur Pink says that the tense of the phrase in, in this passage, put to death, he says the tense expresses continued action, that which is to be our daily concernment and practice and not merely by fits and starts. And A.W. Pink also says, Sin is very much alive in the Christian, for the flesh or evil nature is ever opposing the Spirit, and he is called upon to employ no half measures in resisting the same. Corrupt propensities are to be dealt with unsparingly. Sinful desires sternly denied. Evil thoughts rejected with abhorrence. Israel struck their enemies with a great blow. Now, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. God isn't telling us to do something that He won't give us the power to do. God never would say, put to death sin if we weren't able to do it in His strength, in His power. He gives us abundant power to do everything He commands us to do. Because Jesus struck our enemies with the ultimate great blow on the cross. In John 19.30, it says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, it is finished. And He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. He struck the great blow to our sins so we can. Now, I have been, by God's grace, I've been following Jesus for over 40 years now. I can't believe that hard for me to believe it. I look in the mirror and say, what happened? <laughs> I've been following Jesus for 40 years. And I'm still, I still have to be relentless. If we don't kill our sins, they just grow stronger. And so, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart. Watch your inner life. Keep, keep a watch on what's tempting you. Keep a watch on habits you may be getting into. Keep a watch on areas of temptation in your life. If, if you had an infestation in your home of bed bugs or cockroaches or brown recluses, and you say you called Jim Rice and said, Jim, can you come over to my house? I've got this infestation. And Jim comes over, brings his crew, and, and at the end of the day, Jim comes up and says, well, we got at least half of them. Killed most of them. Here's the bill. You'd say, what do you mean you only got half of them? You mean you're not going to get rid of the, the whole thing? I mean, if I called an exterminator, I'd want to do the whole thing wouldn't be content him leaving half of the bedbugs in my house. Because it will only come back worse. 
Well, when we do this, our enemies are silenced. And so, verse 21 says this, enemies silenced. So we looked at, we looked at hidden sins, hidden enemies, looked at relentless battle, continued action. Enemies silenced. Verse 21, it says, Then all the people returned safe to Joshua. This is after they followed all these enemies. They returned safe to Joshua in the camp at Makkedah. Not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel. So what happened is this. All of the Israelites come back safe. Not one of them is killed. They return. It says, all the people, all the people returned safe to Joshua. They were completely victorious in their relentless pursuit of their enemies. Not one single one was killed. And here's what happened. And when they returned, not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel. In other words, all their enemies, all the other people in the lands, had nothing they could say about them. See, God had established His people. God had proven that they were His people. And no one... You know, at first, they could have said, oh yeah, yeah, they took Joshua, yeah, they blew their horns, the walls flew down... And it fell down, and then and then they went on to to take Ai, and yeah, they took two cities. But that could have been a fluke, you know. Those cities might not have been ready for them. But now, when they see that Israel has conquered these five armies, these five mighty armies, they know it's God, and they can't say a word against them. Now, this is a picture of the way our lives should be when we are relentless, when we are relentless against sin. We, we live in a way that people can see that our faith is real and our God is real. And no one will have anything they can say against us. And so Peter, 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God wants this to be said about us. Just what was said, you know, no one could say anything against Israel. I mean, people are going to slander us. People are going to say things but we should not give them any reason to. We should live such lives that they can see that something is different about us. When, I, when Jesus first saved me, people had every reason to wonder if I'd keep going because it was so radical of a change. I'd, I had been in a rock band. I'd used drugs. I hung out at the bars till they closed every night. And then I stayed behind because my friend worked in the bar. He'd lock the door and we'd stay well past closing time. Um, then I, when Jesus saved me, I, I quit the band. I quit going to the bars. I moved into a house with another Christian, a guy named Tim McKelvey, who's sitting right there. And people said, I, we were going to prayer meetings. I was reading my Bible, and I heard it was said of me by non-Christians, yeah, Mark's become a Jesus freak, and he's moved into a Jesus house with other Jesus freaks. 
So there's a Jesus freak right there, Tim McCovey. <laughs> and people want to see, you know, if, is Jesus going to really make a difference? And so a few years later, after Jesus had saved me, a friend of mine met one of my high school roommates. He says, oh, you know Mark Altrogi. Did you know Mark became a Christian? Have you ever talked to Mark about Jesus? And this guy said, hey, I've known Mark for years. I've seen him go through all kind of stuff. You ask me in five years, and then I'll talk to him if he's still, if he's still doing this Christian thing. See, people, people want to see, is this real? I mean, we can tell them, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. He says, if Mark is still a Christian in five years, then I'll listen to him. I should call him up. So we want to do that. Now, the next thing we see is a picture of our victory. In verse 22, a picture of our victory. Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so. And they brought those five kings out from the cave. The king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon. And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near and put your feet on the necks of those kings. They, then they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. What, what was happening here? God was giving them a visual picture of what He was going to do and what they had to do in fighting. It was a, imagine a, what a visual this was. What a, what a picture this was. Here are these kings who had been filled with hatred and they were pompous and they were maybe still wearing their robes and now they're on the ground in the dirt and the captains of the Israelites were standing there with their feet on their necks. Talk about humiliation. Their faces are in the dirt and a, a boot on their neck. totally mortified, helpless. And Joshua says, this is a picture I want you to remember. This is what the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. That's why your feet are on their necks. Because you're going to fight. The Lord's going to do it, but you're going to fight. See, this is, this is, a, this is a picture of what was going to be in the future for them. And God does the same for us. He gives us a picture and tells us to fight. And so in 1 John 3, 2 and 3, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. See, He gives us a picture too. He says, you are going to be like Christ. I mean, we can only imagine what that's like. Jesus in all His glory and holiness and beauty. And, and somehow we will be transformed to be like Him. And because we see what we're going to be someday, 
We purify ourselves. We put sin to death. We fight this battle. And so that's what Joshua was doing. He's saying, see, this is what it's going to be for you in the end to all your enemies. So that's why you fight. We see Jesus. Someday we're going to be like Him. That's why we purify ourselves. We want to become more and more like Jesus. What, what one commentary I read says is that the feet on the necks meant this. The victory God had won for them had to be personally appropriated. See, God won the victory, but they had to personally do it. I think you're probably getting the message right now, huh? We got to do this with the Lord's power. It's not just sit back and do nothing and let God do all the work. No, we must fight sin. We must purify ourselves with Jesus' power. And so Revelation 3.21 says this, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. We must set our minds, I'm going to conquer. I'm not going to give up until I conquer. I don't care how many times I fail, I'm going to get back up again and, and, and keep fighting until I conquer. That's got to be our attitude. And now, we just want to have a reminder, we want to see the One who crushes the enemy and so, verse 26, after they did this, after they stood with their feet on their enemies' necks, it says, and afterwards, Joshua struck them and put them to death. And he hanged them on five trees. And they hung on the trees until evening. But at the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves and they set large stones against the mouth of the cave, which remain to this very day. So, after they stand there with their feet on the necks of these kings, Joshua himself pulls out his sword and strikes each one dead. And then he hangs them on a tree, which was the Old Testament sign that God had cursed them. In Deuteronomy 21, 22 and 23, it says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he's put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. And so these enemies who had resisted the living God were cursed by God. Joshua killed them hung them on a tree as a sign and a symbol, another visual symbol, that they had been cursed by God. Now, Joshua is a picture of Jesus Christ. And so, Joshua pulled out his sword and he killed these kings. And so, when we are fighting our enemies, Jesus Himself is fighting Jesus is killing our sins because Jesus Jesus Himself was cursed to put our sins to death. You know, this picture of these men on a tree, five kings cursed by God for their sins, it's, it's a picture for us also of Jesus. And, 
And so Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That's why we can get into this fight. Because Jesus was cursed for our sins. So that we will never be cursed. And so that's why we can enter this fight. We'll never be cursed. But we need to fight. We need to walk it out. But it's Jesus doing the fighting. Really, look at Romans 16, 19, and 20. For your obedience is known to all. See, there it is. Your obedience. Your obedience. You're the ones who are obeying. You are taking these steps of obedience. Your obedience is known to all. So that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. In other words, stay away from evil. Do good. Be wise. And now look at this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So, let, let this ring in our ears as we, as we finish up. We obey. We should obey. We should put our sins to death. We should fight this fight. We should be relentless. We should never give up. We should strike our sins with a great blow. But we also should remember the God of peace is the one who will crush Satan under our feet. Isn't that encouraging? Jesus will crush Satan. Jesus will crush our sins. Jesus is fighting for us. That's why we can conquer sin and defeat it. Because Jesus became a curse so that we won't be cursed. And Jesus paid for every sin we will ever commit or will commit. Died on the cross. And He rose from the dead which proved God had accepted His sacrifice for sin. He rose from the dead. Death no longer could hold Him because death was the penalty for sin. He had paid the penalty for sin. So He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's Lord of lords. He's King of kings. He's waiting to help you conquer your sins and me conquer my sins. He's our God. He's our King. Let's, let's trust Him. Let's turn to Him. Let's call on Him. Let's appeal to Him for His help and strength. Let's ask Him to give us, give us His Holy Spirit. He will if we ask. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Are you, are you in a fight against sin? Ask God to help you just like we heard this morning. Pray. Send out your truth and your light. Be relentless. If you're weary right now, ask, ask others to pray for you. We have a prayer team that comes up here at the end of every Sunday message. Anything at all that you would want people to pray for you, they would be happy to pray for you. If, if you say, man, I'm just so tired of fighting this one sin, would you pray for me? God, give me strength. Yeah, they would love to. So be relentless. Don't quit. Get rid of those brown recluses. Don't leave any of them in there. 
Be relentless. Let's stand and pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank You that it is Your will to give us victory over our sins because You have paid for them. You have already won the victory. Lord, help us. Help us. Help us as a church, as individuals. Help us to walk in purity and holiness and be devoted to good works so that everyone can see that You're alive and that You've changed us. We just ask You to help us, Lord, for Your glory. We thank You in Your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.